I'm Jeff Gibson. And I am Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk, start off with the week in review, what sort of movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to our main event, which is either a main topic of discussion or a main review. Then we finish up with film faves, our 12 respective uh, lists of our favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, I don't know if you read in the show notes for the last episode, I had announced that we were going to do a main review of Lego Movie Part 2, but then in the show notes I actually announced that that was actually changing because we needed to do our Spring Movie Preview, which is what we will be doing in this episode. It is that time already, looking forward into the spring season, so we'll be talking about what's coming out and what movies we're looking forward to. And then with Film Faves, we are finally bringing back our march backwards through time, year by year. We have hit the 80s. And so with this episode, we'll be talking about our favorite movies of 1989. This is our first year by year since way back around Thanksgiving. So excited to be back on track with that. But let's first start off with the week in review. Shanna, if I understand correctly, you have not seen anything. By myself? Uh, yes, correct, Anya. No, no, I'm, I'm binging through Magicians, and I'll talk about that later. Excellent. I also have a show that I will talk about in a future episode that I am watching right now. But first, I do have one movie that I did see that I did want to talk about on my own. And that is the Best Documentary nominee, Free Solo. Now, this film is ostensibly about a guy who basically wants to climb El Capitan, a mountain in Yellowstone National Park, without any ropes. Just climb it. Just him. On his own. From top to bottom. And so... Uh, I thought this was very interesting. I am, I am a man with a fear of heights. I am not a mountain climber myself. So the idea of this premise and the idea of it on the big screen with you know the potential of the cinematography and everything of seeing these great heights and great views intrigued me. And so I went and saw the film. Shannon, you were not interested, so you did not accompany me in seeing this film, yeah? Let's just be clear. It wasn't because of a hype thing or anything like that, I mm. think. Uh, I'm still sick, guys. <laughs> mm, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on, but uh, we will get through this. Yeah. So that's why I sent you along. Yeah, you didn't feel uh, well enough to go. So you know that feeling when you go when you're watching a horror film that truly is affecting you and... You kind of get this mounting tension in your in inside you, where it's like, I don't know how much more I could take of this man. I don't know. I don't know. That is essentially the feeling I had while watching uh, this film. I was squirming in my seat practically the entire ninety minutes of of this film, because what this film does really well is it really sells the danger of what this guy is trying to do or wants to do and what he has done many times before on other mountains 
Uh, this movie makes very clear, you know, that there are animals out there, the birds and whatnot, that, you know, they have little claws and things that equip them with grabbing onto and perching <laughs> rock okay. faces. I wasn't sure where such. you were going with this, but okay. Humans don't have that. Humans are not naturally meant to do this. <laughs> it is kind of insane what he is doing. And what it does is it, it does close-up shots of this guy, like, putting his toes or his fingers on little tiny nudge, little tiny nubs that stick out of the wall. And he's, like, basing his, like, he's, he's like, risking his entire life on the the promise that this little nub is going to hold him, you know, 1,500 feet in the air or whatever it is, you know. And to be clear, El Capitan is something like 3,000 feet um, up elevation, something like that. Um, so it's very high, very, very high. What makes it also a fascinating film is it looks at how this idea, this concept, this 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 desire, this thing he that someone wants to do affects those around him. Uh, and how even the film crew can affect his success. So, like, you know, you have to realize, like, okay, it's not just him. Like, there's actually people shooting him, right? And so, like, you have to... Th and this is the ultimate example of how that question of whether or not a documentarian is affecting its subject just by being there, you know? So they actually talk about, okay, well, like, I don't want him to feel pressure being on camera that he has to do something interesting and that's you know being a mistake that causes him to fall to his death or what if you know someone's coming into view a camera is coming into view and that distracts him and causes him to make a mistake and fall to his death um, and so they talk a lot about that you know and they, and they talk about like you know the reality of the fact that if something were to happen they would not be able to do anything to help him and they have to resign themselves to the rea that reality of that possibility. And he has uh, other people in his life, kind of relationships, you know, that, that like all of them, when it comes down to it, have to be faced with the reality of, okay, he may not succeed in this thing that he wants to do. So then the question is, well, why would someone want to do this? You know, it gets into the psychology of the person and it does like reveal like, yeah, you know, he's he's someone who doesn't process things emotionally like the average person does. He he isn't uh, affected emotionally as easily as as the average person is. But also like his motivation is this one thing like climbing the face of a mountain is the closest anybody gets to perfection, absolute perfection because if you are not perfect, you will die. There is no air room for error in this. And so I found this to be an extraordinarily riveting and fascinating documentary. It is still playing in theaters right now. And I recommend, if you can, go see it in the theater and get as close to the screen as you can tolerate. Because that experience is an experience that you will not get when it comes on to streaming, when you watch it on your phone, on your iPad, on your TV, anything like that. It is definitely a unique experience that you get and is hands down one of the best documentaries I've seen from last year. Uh, that is free solo. I highly recommend it. And it's available in theaters uh, around you right now. 
Shanna, we watched... What did we watch together? We saw something. We saw another documentary from last year. This was Love, Gilda, which is about Gilda Radner, the comedian from the first and original season of Saturday Night Live. I think she was on for a few years there. That's where she's most famous from. And she did, of course, pass away in 1989 from cancer. And this documentary kind of reveals a little bit more about who she was through her own diaries and journals, as well as interviews from people who knew her best uh, that are still around. Shannon, what did you think of this documentary, Love, Gilda? I really liked this documentary. It was a very short documentary. It was such a sad ending to the documentary. I think that in my head, I mean, I figured she probably wasn't around anymore, but at the same time, I was like, but no, she died of this thing that, like, she had no control over it. Fate decided for her that she was done, you know? Mm -hmm. And she still had so much more that she that she would have liked to have done. And that that's always a little heartbreaking. Mm. Um, so it was a sad documentary for me, but I also really enjoyed seeing the different comedian actresses that we have today that are very prominent and they were commenting on how Gilda influenced them and and that was really nice to see them and it was so sweet when they brought out Gilda's journals for the comedians to look through because you could tell like the look on their faces it was like they were holding gold yeah. um, and that was pretty exciting and this was chiefly Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph and Bill Hader yeah, those and, three in particular. And who, Melissa. And Melissa McCarthy, McCarthy that's right, yeah. yes. So it was really, really fascinating, and I enjoyed seeing this woman's life. Uh, I, I also really appreciated they, you know, went into, well, she had ovarian cancer or cervical cancer. Which one was it? One of those two, I'm not. But something about. that was brought up in it is she kept going to all these doctors and she kept saying something's wrong something's wrong and none of the doctors were listening and that's a big thing that women are facing they know something's wrong they're using their voice to speak up about it and i feel like it was important that they included that in the documentary the way they did well it, it was important because apparently with the particular cancer that she had it, because of her there is a lot more awareness and attention in the medical community to that particular cancer, whereas it was one that was either misdiagnosed or blown off before. Uh, but apparently with her, her passing and her memoir that came out two weeks after her passing, it, there was, Man, that woman worked really hard. There was a, a lot more attention given and a lot more awareness. So, the, so this happens a lot less frequently are likely to women in in this particular type of cancer yes uh, which is interesting i i found it to be we we saw a few different celebrity documentaries last year and what set this one apart is in a way you actually got her voice in the documentary through her journals and her her writing and so rather than her being interviewed, you you did have her presence in the documentary. I think that's a which, good point. 
Yeah, I thought that was interesting and, and really sets it apart from Whitney and Hal and Quincy, uh, those films, although Quincy actually is in his own documentary, but still. So I appreciate it for that. And for myself, like, I feel like maybe I'm just speaking for me here, but it seems like my generation, anybody who born who was born in the early 80s onward, really didn't have much of an awareness or an understanding of who Gilda Ratner was. Like, I was born too late to have experienced her on SNL, and I only really saw her in clips later on as I got older, you know, especially her character Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, or something like that, uh, one of her most famous characters. So I didn't really know <clears throat> anything about the woman that's, uh, herself, and, and my mom told me, Basically, I connected the dots that she was Gene Wilder's wife who passed away and it was really sad. And which, by the way, Gene Wilder, as far as I know, he never remarried or anything like he was completely devoted to Gilda. He was a very sweet man, from my understanding. Of course, he just passed away a couple of years ago, so he does not feature in the documentary either. And who knows? Maybe. Maybe if he was given an opportunity, he would have declined because maybe it would have been too difficult for him to, to talk about. You know, I have no idea. Well, and it was sweet that they gave a little... It was just a few seconds that you saw it for, that, that he had set up a foundation in honor of her. Right, yes. And that yeah. was really sweet. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you have any other thoughts about the documentary? No, I really enjoyed it, and I think you had a good point. Like, it's nice that we got to... It wasn't like necessarily just about her from other people's experiences with her. Mm -hmm. It it were it did have her voice, and that's nice. Yeah, it's kind of a nice middle ground actually. Like Lady Gaga's documentary, like she's the one that's directly speaking, mm -hmm. and then you've got Whit and then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got Whitney Houston, long gone, lots of stuff happening. You know, mm -hmm. everybody else talking about it, mm -hmm. and then you've got. Gilda, and she's kind of in this nice middle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're ever curious about learning who Gilda Radner is and or just appreciate her and you want to learn more, I think uh, this is definitely worth uh, seeking out. i probably give it about a 7 out of 10. And I think you can find it on Amazon Prime, I believe. Definitely one of the main streaming platforms. All right, so that about does it for the Weekend Review. Let's move on to our main event which is the spring movie preview so here's what we do in case you have not heard one of these episodes before with our movie previews particularly the seasonal ones i go month to month reading off what movies are coming out you know and note if there's anybody worth noting about who it's by and what the movie's about and then shannon and i will then talk about what movies from that particular month we are looking forward to most, usually one to three movies each month. So uh, here we go. We're going to focus on March, April, and May this time. March starts off on the 1st of March with Tyler Perry's Amadea Family Funeral. He always seems to have a movie every year coming out with Amadea. And also uh, Cliffs of Freedom by Van Lean. This is an indie drama based on the novel by Marianne Matrupoulos, uh, Daughter of Destiny. It's a romance of, about bravery and faith between a Greek village girl and a Turkish Ottoman colonel 
during the dawn of the Greek War of Independence in the 1820s. The following weekend, we have Captain Marvel, starring Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jamon Honsu, Lee Pace, Gemma Chain, Clark Gregg, and Jude Law. Oh, and Annette Benning is in there as well. This is directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Shanna, this is Marvel's first film that is directed by a woman. Is huh. I didn't know that part. Didn't realize that? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, I think I'm accurate with yeah. that. And it is about, of course, the female superhero, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, who's been around for many years. Uh, she's gone by Ms. Marvel and Binary and a bunch of different names. And it's kind of an intergalactic uh, adventure taking place in the 90s. So Marvel's first prequel, so to speak, as well. Next we have that same weekend as counter-programming, The Kid, directed by Vincent D'Onofrio, also starring Vincent, along with Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Dane DeHaan, and Adam Baldwin. This is about Billy the Kid, who is played by Dane DeHaan. And it's about a young boy who reaches out to Billy the Kid to save his kidnapped sister. Ethan Hawke plays Sheriff Pat Garrett, who, of course, is famous for killing Billy the Kid. The following weekend, we have Wonder Park, which is by David Feiss. That stars Ken John, Keenan Thompson, Jennifer Gardner, Richard Kind, Mila Kunis, David Cross, Matthew Broderick... That is, oh, the animated film about the girl and her imaginary one, uh, amusement park that comes to life. You might have seen trailers for that. Then you have Captive State by Rupert Wyatt, who some know as the guy who directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, several years back. He's back with a sci-fi crime thriller that stars John Goodman. And Vera Farmiga. That same weekend, we have Nancy Drew in The Hidden Staircase. Kind of self-explanatory, the latest Nancy Drew film. And Five Feet Apart, which stars Cole Sprouse and Haley Lou Richardson. It looks like it is a teen romance film. March 22nd, we have Jordan Peele's latest film, Us, which stars Lupita Nyong'o. Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and has a very, very creepy trailer about a family who suddenly has another family terrorizing them. There's Harmony Corrine's uh, next film, The Beach Bum. You may remember Harmony Corrine's film Spring Breakers with James Franco. Well, now his latest film has Matthew McConaughey, Zac Efron, Jonah Hill, Isla Fisher, Jimmy Buffett, Snoop Dogg, and Martin Lawrence. Then we have that same weekend, or the following weekend, Dumbo. Tim Burton has been tapped by Disney to remake their classic 1940s animated film. This stars a lot more people than the original animated film did. It has Colin Farrell, Michael Keaton, Dane DeVito, Ava Green, and Alan Arkin. And lastly, we have a film starring Army Hammer, Dakota Johnson, and Zazie Beetz from Deadpool 2 
called Wounds. It is a psychological horror film that is based on the novella The Visible Filth. Oh, I really like that title. Yeah? (laughs) The Visible Filth. Oh my gosh, that's intense. Well, why don't you share with us what movies, if any, are you looking forward to in March? I am looking forward to Captain Marvel. So, Skrulls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes. Noble warrior heroes. began the day it nearly ended we found you with no memory we made you one of us so you could live longer stronger superior you were reborn i keep having these memories something in my past is the key to all of this You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. That's a yes or no question. This war is just the beginning. I'm not going to fight your war. I'm going to end it. Marvel, Disney, you can stop showing us trailers that have more and more pieces of the movie Mm -hmm. in it. It's your first feature super female film. I am there. Half the population will be there at least so just go ahead calm down we're all gonna be there okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) do not reveal anything else about the damn movie thank you (laughs) (laughs) so that's one that i'm looking forward to and then the second one is actually nancy drew and the hidden staircase although i'm not a fan of the books uh not that i've tried very hard to seek them out and read them i am a fan of the character okay and i loved the film that they the Nancy Drew film that they had out a couple years ago. I was going to say, you I talked... I really liked that one. You talked about that yeah. film on this podcast a few episodes back. Yeah, it was really fun. And they had their own kind of interpretation of modernizing it, but still respecting its roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started watching the trailer for The Hidden Staircase, I was like, oh, that looks like you might not respect the roots. But then as the trailer unfolded... I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to be fine. So now I'm really excited. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like a lot of girl friendship, relationship power. And uh, by power, I mean like being there for each other. Kind of reminded me, the dynamics that I saw through the trailer reminded me of Sabrina Teenage Witch. Mm. You know, the feminism and unification of all the women in there. That's what it reminded me of. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Any other movies from March? Of course, Us. Yes, um, that I, was one of your most anticipated <laughs> movies of the year. Yeah, we talked about a couple episodes back. Now look, I don't, I don't know how to just, I don't know how to describe the insanity that's going to unfold on the screen, but it's Jordan Peele, and that's why I'm going, and I'm probably going to take a pillow and a blanket with me just so that I can calm my nervous system mm. and scream into a pillow rather than in front of the person, the person in front of me. So I'm absolutely thrilled to go watch it but i'm absolutely terrified as well yeah that'll be interesting we're gonna go like the first showing in the morning during broad (laughs) daylight and then we're gonna go home and watch something like care bears all day (laughs) like to kind of like balance it out yeah yeah i know i will be definitely probably clutching onto you 
because in about three episodes we will be reviewing. I'm gonna be so bruised. We we will be reviewing that movie in three episodes, so I will be right there with you. I'm not sure how I'm how I'm going to get through that because that 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 movie looks terrifying. Well, and I just love Lupita Nyong'o. I'm like anything she has, anything she's doing, take my money. You know, so sure, yeah. sure. My the one movie I am looking forward to in March. There really isn't much in March that I'm looking forward to, but it is Captain Marvel. I absolutely agree with you. I don't think Marvel needs to really push this movie any further. Yeah. I <laughs> I think I think I was sold with just the first trailer alone. I think I was like, okay, cool, I'm on board. I was curious. Now I'm sold. Just show me the movie now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I really don't want to know anything more about the movie at this point. I just want to see it. And, of course, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm very much interested in how this fits into the bigger uh, puzzle of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Uh, all right, so let's move on to April. We have a few movies in April coming out. Starting with April 5th, we have DC's, uh, DC Comics, and Warner Brothers' next uh, crack at a superhero film. Uh, what was the last one they did that we saw? It wasn't Wonder Woman. It was something more recent, wasn't it? Gosh, I cannot recall. Aquaman. Aquaman. Oh, shame. God, it was a month ago. <laughs> oh, poor so, Aquaman. Two months ago. That's terrible. <laughs> well, uh, they're coming out with Shazam, which seems to be much more of a, a superhero comedy, like Aquaman kind of was stepping towards. This stars Zach Levy. Mark Strong seems to be a villain in it, and Jamon Honsu is also in it. That same weekend, we have a remake of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, starring Jason Clark and John Lithgow. Of course, that is the horror drama that is about the family who goes through a horrible tragedy and the father who just can't bear it and decides to utilize this pet cemetery or this cemetery beyond a pet cemetery actually that's on indian burial ground that has the promise of bringing your loved ones back to life uh, and everything goes well after that uh, next we have uh, taraji p henson's coming out with another movie she's going to be all over 2019 i think she just came out with her movie what men want now she has the best of enemies with sam rockwell this is a drama based on the book The Best of Enemies, Race and Redemption in the New South. Uh, the film, let's see here, is about civil rights activists, uh, civil rights activist in Durham, North Carolina, who battles with the KKK for a decade until 1971 when the two agree to co-chair a two-week community me meeting to deal with a court-ordered school desegregation decree, which changes both their lives. I think we've seen a trailer for this at the movie theater. It could be interesting. The following weekend, we have the comedy Little, which seems to be another, not body swap, but something like Big, but only for women. It stars, uh, not Taraji P. Hansen, but it stars Regina Hall. Uh, Marci Martin, who I believe is the girl from uh, Blackish, and Issa Rae. Then we have Hellboy. This time directed by Neil Marshall, who I think is the guy who directed... Ah, he directed the film The Descent back in 2005. A great kind of, uh, what do you call, cave spelunker horror film. That was really effective. Uh, this 
a reboot of Hellboy. Stars David Harbour from Stranger Things, the sheriff in that film, or in that show, is Hellboy. It also stars Mia Jovovich, Ian McShane, and Daniel Dai Kim from Lost, which is very exciting. Mm. And we have, after that, uh, or along with that, an animated stop-motion film uh, from Laika called Missing Link. Really? Yes, with Hugh Jackman, Zach Galifianakis, Zoe Saldana, Timothy Oliphant, Emma Thompson, and Stephen Fry. Then the following weekend, we have the lovely horror thriller called The Curse of La Llorona, starring Lita Car- Linda Cardellini and Raymond Cruz. That seems to be about something quite terrifying. <laughs> it's a supernatural horror film, not Shanna's Cup of Tea, I would expect. Is that what I was watching a trailer to, and it said, I know there's good in you, and then I said, and we're done. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But it's basically a, a social worker and widow raising her two children in 1970s L.A. is called to check in on one of her cases. She finds signs of foul play. As she digs deeper, she finds striking similarities between the case and the terrifying supernatural occurrences haunting her family. Fun stuff. In addition to that, we have David Robert Mitchell, who made a great horror film a few years ago called It Follows. He's back with a thriller, uh, kind of a crime thriller, called Under the Silver Lake. That stars Andrew Garfield, Riley Keough, Topher Grace, and... It's about a man in Los Angeles who sets out on a quest to investigate the sudden disappearance of his neighbor, only to stumble upon an elusive and dangerous large-scale conspiracy. Disney Nature has its annual film. Uh, this time it's called Penguins. Uh, actually, I think it's actually like called Steve. It's about a penguin named Steve. Uh, then we have After, which is a, another romance based on a book. Looks like a teen romance. Uh, Selma Blair and Peter Gallagher feature in that. And, of course, April 26th, we have Avengers Endgame. The Russo brothers, who brought us uh, Winter Soldier, Infinity War, and Civil War, are back with what is the final chapter of the Avengers as we know them. It stars everybody. I'm not even going to go through the cast list. We pretty much know. And then, in addition to that, if you want some counter-programming, we have a drama called The Aftermath with Kira Knightley, Jason Clark, and Alexander Skarsgård. That is set in post-war Germany in 1946. Kira Knightley plays a woman who arrives in the ruins of Hamburg in the bitter winter to be reunited with her husband, a British colonel charged with rebuilding the shattered city. But as they set off for their new home, Rachel is stunned to discover that Lewis has made an unexpected decision. They will be sharing the grand house with its previous owners, a German widower and his troubled daughter. So that'll be fun. And then we have The Intruder, which stars Megan Good, Dennis Quaid, and is a thriller, a psychological thriller, about a couple who buys a house in the country only to realize its previous owner refuses to let it go need to talk to the real estate agent about that in the country yeah so shanna right. 
What April films are you looking forward to most? Avengers Infinity War. Hashtag bring Gamora back. You mean Avengers Endgame? Oh, God. Whatever. Yes. Uh, high five. Same here. That is the only movie I am Finally, looking Finally, you agree we should bring Gamora back. No. 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 That's a bunch of nonsense. That was um, so fun. Ha, ha, ha. I thoroughly enjoyed no, that. No, but this is the only movie I am looking forward to in April as well. Of course, yeah. we will be reviewing that in a few episodes. It would be we'd be remiss to skip over that, especially since we've been following pretty much all the Marvel films in the podcast. Do you have anything to add about that movie? Uh, I'm just looking forward to see how they're going to tie it all up. So we'll see what happens. Likewise, no, I actually am interested uh, in the fact that we have no idea what's going to happen. No, and... there isn't really any clues. And right, the trailer doesn't really give us anything really if which you think about it. i appreciate yeah. i don't need to know anything thanos did exactly what he said he was going to do he wiped out 50 percent of all living creatures All of us. We lost friends. We lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. This is the fight of our lives. This is gonna work, Steve. I know it is. Because I don't know what I'm gonna do if it doesn't. feel like needs three or four trailers you know and i don't know if they actually have done that yet i don't even know if they have a, a second trailer but like for me like this is not a movie i need to be sold on and i feel like they probably should know that you don't really need to sell this movie too hard you know yeah. based on how the previous avengers movies have, have have done have performed in the box office so um hopefully we're not going to be captive audience to like more and more trailers in the next two months to that and have things spoiled. Although I'm looking forward to Avengers, the only other movie that's bringing me great excitement and joy through the trailer is Little, starring, of course, you know, one of our favorite characters from Blackish, Marseille Martin, and then Regina Hall and Issa Rae. And I just, I think it's going to be really fun. I, like when I saw it was Annapurna, I was like, um, yes, please take all oh, my really? money. Like, whatever you guys make, just just let me see it, <laughs> you know? Please make it, like, a wide release. I will go watch it for you. And it just looks like a lot of fun material in this film. Mm. And I'm hoping that they didn't give away all the fun bits in the trailer so that there's something new and interesting to experience when I actually go see the film. Let's move on to the last month we look at, which is May... Let's see what is interesting in May. 
We start off the month with another animated film called Ugly Dolls. This stars Kelly Clarkson, Pitbull, Nick Jonas, Wanda Sykes, Gabriel Iglesias, Blake Shelton, Janelle Monet, Emma Roberts, Charlie XCX, uh, just a lot of like musicians turned into voice actors for this film. So it, it, it's obviously going to be some sort of a, a musical comedy. Uh, animated thing then we also have on that same weekend we have a comedy with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron called The Lawn Shot it is about uh, an unemployed journalist battered by his own misfortune and self-destructive ways courts his childhood crush and babysitter who is now one of the most powerful and unattainable women on earth so that could be interesting I mean it's uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, so it's probably not going to be uninteresting. It also stars Alexander Skarsgård, Andy Serkis. Oh, wow. Okay, so there we go. Randall <laughs> Park and Bob Odenkirk. So that could be fun. We have the following weekend, one of your most anticipated films, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which of course stars Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. It also stars Suki Waterhouse from The Bad Batch, you might remember, and uh, Ken Watanabe and Bill Nye. We also have The Hustle, which stars Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. This is a remake that's kind of a female version of the film Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from the late 80s. Some listeners may remember. We also have a comedy called Palms, which stars Diane Keaton, Jackie Weaver, Pam Greer, Rhea Perlman... I have no idea what this movie is, but apparently it's some sort of a dance uh, comedy film with kind of a, an incredible older cast of women. So that could be interesting. Then we have the biopic Tolkien. Guess who that's about? Of course, J.R.R. Tolkien, who created The Lord of the Rings. This will star Nicholas Holt as Tolkien himself. It'll also star Lily Collins, Cole Meany, Derek Jacoby. In May 17th, at the halfway mark, we have John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Uh, as though Chapter 3 needed a title. So, Keanu Reeves is back, as promised, at the end of Chapter 2 of John Wick, this time with Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, and Angelica Houston. We pretty much know what to expect. People are going to get beat up, people are going to get killed, all in pursuit of John Wick at this point. We have on the other side of the spectrum, A Dog's Journey. Boy, if A Dog's Way Home wasn't enough for you, we got more dogs going somewhere for you. <laughs> this stars Dennis Quaid, Josh Gad, Mark Helgenberger, who you don't see very often anymore. And there's also The Sun is Also a Star, in case you did not know. It is, it is both those things. Uh, this is a, a film... Based on a young adult novel, it stars Yara Shahidi and Miriam Hyman. Then we finish up May with an interesting weekend that starts off with Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Now that's not something I ever thought I would ever say. Guy Ritchie is remaking Disney's Aladdin. Mm. Yeah, so that's something. Um, it stars Naomi Scott. Will Smith will play the genie. And it looks like it has a fairly ethnic uh, Middle Eastern cast in it. So we'll see. 
there was that. And then James Gray, who made the film a couple years back, The Lost City of Z, or Lost City of Z, which a lot of critics and cinephiles really loved. He's back with a film called Ad Astra, which is a sci-fi thriller of all things, starring Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Negga from Loving a few years back, Donald Sutherland is also in it, and Jamie Kennedy. Then we have Brightburn, which is a sci-fi horror film in the superhero genre, produced by James Gunn. It stars Elizabeth Banks and is about a couple who adopts a child that crash landed on Earth from another world who is raised to use his powers as a hero for the betterment of mankind. Sound familiar? Oh, just a teeny tiny bit. However, as an evil grows inside of him, the child uses his powers as a villain instead. So, an interesting little twist there. We have Booksmart, which is directed by Olivia Wilde. That stars Billy Lord, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte, and Jason Sudeikis. I'm not really sure what this comedy is about, but it should be interesting with that cast. And the last couple releases of May are big ones. We have Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which you only have missed a trailer for it if you've been living under a rock lately. Stars Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, Ken Watanabe, Sally Hawkins, Bradley Whitford, and David Strathairn and Zane Zee. Of course, this is a movie that brings all the Godzilla monsters back. You got Rodan, you got Mothra, you got King Ghidorah, all battling Godzilla. So that should be something. I'd like to see McDonald's do toys. <gasps> That would be so freaking cool. Oh, bring back the Happy Meal toys. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Rocket Man, which is the biopic about Elton John with Taron Egerton as Elton John. Jamie Bell also stars and Bryce Dallas Howard. Shanna, that is a lot of movies in May. What are you looking forward to most? Goodness. So I am looking forward to John Wick Chapter 3, A Man That Kills You If You Kill His Dog. Take my money. Take all of it. You can take whatever you want from me. There it is. It's I'm pretty sure we're past the whole dog thing, though. I know, time, but right? you know what? You've created a loyalty customer, okay. so <laughs> I will go see whatever John Wick is doing. Any other movies? The Sun is also a star. This looks like it has the possibility of making one of my favorite love films. Really? Yeah, so, I mean, it could not, but <laughs> it looks like there's a possibility. Okay. So, I'm looking forward to seeing how I feel about it when it comes out. Yeah. But it looks really interesting and really magical, and there's this, like, little moment in the trailer where you see she's actually an immigrant that can't stay there. I don't know if she was born in the country that her family is from, or... Mm -hmm. If she was born in America, technically if she's born in America, she should be fine. But obviously she isn't, so we'll find out more. And was there anything else in May? No, I think that's it for May for right okay. now. Well, I'm looking for... This is the one month where there's a few things I'm looking forward to. I am I am very curious about Booksmart. I don't know anything about it other than that it's a comedy directed by Olivia Wilde, who is an actress I really like, You know, and, and it's cast, uh, you know... You have a, a, a comedy with uh, Billy Lord and Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte and Jason Sudeikis. They all get to play together. And it's a triple F-rated film, I think, too, because it's uh, written 
by it by like four different women by the way emily emily halpern sarah haskins katie silverman Ju- susanna fogel i'm just really kind of curious about this movie so i'm kind of looking forward to seeing what that ends up being uh and of course i'm looking forward to godzilla king of the monsters we've talked a lot about this movie it was one of our most anticipated movies that we shared i think it was maybe, maybe number one of the movies that uh, we were looking forward to the most in the year and then, uh, you know, since you didn't add it, I will say Rocket Man. I'm intrigued by the trailer the, with this kind of fantasy aspect to this biopic. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a little, the only thing that gives me a lot of reluctance is Taron Egerton as Elton John. It seems more like he's the guy of the moment yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. And so we'll see. We'll see. But I am very much curious about that. Uh, I couldn't give two shits about Aladdin by Guy Ritchie. I'm just going to throw that out there. So that is our spring movie preview, though. What movies are you looking forward to the most in the next few months? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Okay, that leads us back into Film Faves. Film Faves is a feature on the podcast inspired by a uh, feature I used to have in the blog, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. The purpose, of course, is to not only give you an idea of our taste in movies, but hopefully expose you to something maybe you hadn't seen or heard of before, pushing that direction. As such... We also try to highlight whenever a movie is available to stream on a major platform. Uh, To that end, uh, we don't highlight every single uh, streaming platform. There's too many out there. So we do focus on movies that are available on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO now. So we'll let you know when that, that is the case. In this episode, we are coming back to our march backwards through time. We started, when we started this thing, I think we started with the year 2016, I believe. And now we are on 1989, which is very exciting to uh, have made that much progress in 49 episodes. Uh, We're coming back with the March Through Time with 1989. We've hit the 80s, and boy, was this a fun decade of film. Did you have a lot of fun, or was this a challenging year for you? No, there were a lot of movies that were really fun to watch from this year, Um, and there's a lot of films that ended up on my list that are very sentimental to me in some way, whether it was because I grew up with it or because it was recently introduced to me and I just instantly fell in love with it because it was so good. There's a lot of good stuff from this year in particular. There is. And it's going to be interesting to see how many of the highest grossing movies of the year actually makes it to our list. I have a feeling there's going to be a few. Just so you know, Shanna, the top five films of the year in gross was number five, Dead Poets Society at $235.8 million. Look Who's Talking beats that very serious drama uh, with $296.9 million, almost $297 million there. Number three was Back to the Future Part Two with $331.9 million. And of course, the phenomenon of the summer, Batman by Tim Burton, was the second highest grossing movie of the, of the year with $411.3 million. And do you know what the highest grossing movie of 1989 was, if it was not Batman? Ghostbusters 2? 
It was not. Actually, that was number eight. Oh, that's pretty low. Uh, yeah, this was actually Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with $474.1 million. That makes sense. Uh, it's interesting. And then, of course, just a few other notes about the year. The, do you know who won Best Picture that year? No. Who was it? The best film of 1989 was claimed to be Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, you know, I've never seen that film. I did. It's a blind of course, spot for me. I talked about it several episodes back and my, my reactions to that. You can try to find that in a previous week in review it, yeah it took a, a few a, a few awards and then my left foot was the other big one along with dead poet society too and uh, uh a couple other tidbits do you know shanna shanna do you know what elizabeth olsen jake lloyd imogen poots juno temple and daniel radcliffe all have in common birth they were born in 1989. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. As well as Brie Larson, by the way, and Dakota Johnson, and Mia Wasikowska, and Nicholas Holt, and Taylor Swift. Uh, this is a big year for births. That is pretty cool. A lot of talented people came out of that year. So let's get into it. Uh, Shannon, why don't you start us off with uh, any notes you have about your list and what your number 12 favorite film of 1989 ended up being? Sure. Let's start with number 12 is Always, available on Netflix. And I'm going to be reading from IMDb Descriptions. The spirit of a recently deceased expert pilot mentors a newer pilot while watching him fall in love with the girlfriend that he left behind. The best part of this film is Holly Hunter. I really like her. I'm a big fan of her. I mean, she's just so strong and like confident and knows who she is like just about in any film she's in actually i think it's just that quality that shines through no matter what she does yeah yeah absolutely uh because i had a feeling that would end up on your list uh i did not put it on mine but people can find it on netflix so i put as my number 12 look who's talking really i never thought that that would get on a list for you well, it was a favorite growing up. I, I remember it being hilarious when I was growing up, and I saw it when I <laughs> so was it's like sentimental. nine. Well, okay, so maybe, maybe. I didn't get a chance to revisit it before this episode. It, it, it actually wasn't available to stream anywhere up until like this past week. IMDb created a new streaming service, and it's available there, and I just haven't tried it out. So, But I remember like... I remember it just being really hilarious. Bruce Willis is the voice of the inner thoughts of a baby in uh, this comedy. That also stars Kirstie Alley as the mom of this baby. It, it of course, spawned like two sequels that were just awful. Just not very good. <laughs> Look Who's Talking To and Look Who's Talking Now. The Now had dogs. Oh, what do we do now? I know. We haven't done dogs yet. Oh, Let's really? do dogs. Oh, God. It was not good. I don't think I ever saw that. It's really bad. But, you know, a lot of people say, like, John Travolta's career had a resurgence with Pulp Fiction and everything. And, yes, that thing really lit a fire in his career. But I actually, like, for me, it was always started with Look Who's Talking. He did Look Who's Talking, and then he did a few films afterwards that actually got a lot of attention and stuff. And I always liked John Travolta in this movie. I always thought the movie was pretty funny. So Look Who's Talking just squeaked onto my list with, at the number 12 spot. Very good. 
My number 11 is Steel Magnolias. Really? Yeah. A young beautician newly arrived in a small Louisiana town finds work at the local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. So my favorite part about this is all the talents in this film mm-hmm. are like, I love that the most. There's Shirley MacLaine, Olympia Dukakis, Sally Field, Julia Roberts, Dolly Parton, and Sally's performance at the end of the film expressing her absolute anger rawness, and rawness of the emotion that she the reason why she has that emotion is most memorable I didn't even know you had seen that movie I have not seen that movie since I was like nine or a teenager or something. oh yeah I think I watched it again about five years ago really yeah and it held up I thought it was really good nice I gotta check that out because I've been very curious about that myself uh, my number 11 ended up not at all being that, but it was about death. It is called Pet Cemetery, and it is available on Prime and Hulu right now. Uh, I made reference to this film during the spring movie preview as it coincidentally happens to have a remake coming out. I haven't seen a trailer for the remake yet, so I'm, and it did come out just recently. So I have no idea how good the new one's going to be. But Pet Sematary was always a favorite of Stephen King film of mine, of all the Stephen King movies, which there was a rash of in the 80s and 90s, you know? I always loved Fred Gwynn as the kind of, like, friendly neighbor who, unfortunately, is the guy that, that kind of gets the trouble started <laughs> just by sharing a little too much knowledge. And then, of course, like, the kid who played Gage, whose name escapes me right now, but for a while, you, he was, like, the child actor. You saw him in so many movies Jenny you might remember him in Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis you seem to remember that movie he was the kid in that movie really yeah yeah anyway so I do like that kid but anyway it has some horror imagery sort of with some uh, people with uh, injuries or deformities Uh, but mostly it's this uh, really moving drama so I always liked it and you can find it on Prime and Hulu my number 10 is Roger and Me, and you're going to have to find this in hard copy to be able to see it. Director Michael Moore pursues GM CEO Roger B. Smith to confront him about the harm he did to Flint, Michigan with his massive downsizing. So I grew up with my family supplying the uh, supplying auto parts to the automotive industry, And every time there was a recession or there was something major happening in the vehicle industry, auto industry, it affected my family. And so the last time that it was something big and I was of the age to realize and experience it very consciously was in 2008 during the recession. Mm. And to an extent, the automotive industry doesn't have control. That was something that they couldn't control or foresee. Uh, as far as I understood. Mm. But seeing Roger and me and realizing that this person essentially killed so much more than jobs, he killed a town. And it, it was just almost like a horror film. Like, you know, you get horror films that are very like out there, like with werewolves and pets or whatever the hell it is. But then, you know, the real horror films are films like this, where you see what actual humans have done Mm. and gotten away with essentially Mm. and so it was it was very difficult to watch but i was also very interesting 
and I recommend that film. I think it's maybe my second favorite. Uh, my favorite of Michael Moore's films is Sicko and now Roger and Me. Hmm. Just because I find it so interesting. It's it's very specific. It's it's focused. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And that was a recent discovery of yours. So. Yes, we had to rent that from the only video store near us, uh, which is in Seattle. Quote, quote, near us. Yeah, yeah. it's like two and a half hour drive. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, uh, very, very cool. My number 10 is James Cameron's The Abyss. Now, this is the underwater sci-fi spectacle that stars Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastantonio. Whatever happened to her? Oh, I like her. Yeah, she's she's really good uh, in this film. So this is a basically an underwater saga about oil riggers who get stranded underneath the ocean because of a giant uh, hurricane that comes up above, and they end up making a close encounter. I first of all. Forget the theatrical version of the film. The version to see is the director's cut. That actually makes sense of everything in the third act. Oh, that it's, makes sense. Right? It, the, the theatrical cut is kind of like chopped up. And so everything having to do with what they encounter just doesn't make nearly as much sense as in the director's cut. So I love that. It's worth the watch. It's really long, but it's really worth it. And, of course, I remember this film... The big to-do about it was the special, the visual effects in it. Uh, it actually helped introduce the idea of morphine te- uh, technology uh, in visual effects, which later on, a few years later, became very, very popular, uh, too. But you have this water creature at one point that changes its form. And that, you know, these things, like, they, they, for the most part, hold up. But mostly the story holds up. And the score, who I believe is done by James Horner, it's a great score. Love the score. I can hear the score right now in my head. But, yeah, this is a great film. The Abyss, probably James Cameron's most underrated film. My number nine is Lethal Weapon 2. Ah. It is available to stream on Hulu. Riggs and Murtaugh are on the trail of South African diplomats who are using their immunity, diplomatic immunity, to engage in criminal activities. And let me say, they're horrible characters. They're just the really the worst human beings ever. <laughs> I love this franchise. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite one. My favorite one is number three. But I still got a kick out of I think I got to watch this one when I was 17, so starting to become aware of interpretations of apartheid, mm-hmm. depictions of apartheid in, or you know, the lack of depictions of apartheid in uh, the film industry. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh my God, those people sound familiar. Oh my God, they sound terrible. <laughs> it's like, it turns out they're South African. So it was just, it was really funny. And it was, uh, you know, a funny discovery in that regard. And then it was also very interesting to see an interpretation of apartheid from, you know, America's perspective, Mm. at least one perspective. Because I didn't know that, you know, people were marching, which makes sense now that I've lived here for a while. People Mm. can march about whatever they want. Right. And it's kind of (laughs) cool. But how interesting is that to discover I get a kick out of watching that every now and again. But I don't watch that one too often because I feel like that's like a really evil one. Mm. Like one and two is really hard for me mm. 
to watch, but three and four I could watch over and over again. And to be clear, you weren't 17 when the film came out. No, no, you... I got to watch it when I was 17. Yeah, you're, you're actually only a couple years old at this point. Uh, so, very cool. I had a feeling that might end up on your list. So, my next film is Back to the Future Part 2. Of course, this film would have been much higher on my list if it weren't for the alternative timeline that it, it introduces in the alternative 1985 ruled by Biff, which I feel like is a bit of a drag compared to the 15, 20 minutes we get in the year of 2015, I think it is. The future. Oh, yeah, time. you only get a couple minutes there, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that. I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, you know, like half the movie is set in the future. No, no. <laughs> it's alternate. We really don't get a lot of time in in the future exploring what the future is like and stuff. But when we do, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of jokes that anybody who grew up in the 80s would totally get. I, I'm curious if any millennials would get as well. But I do enjoy this film. It's fun, and it leads into, of course, Back to the Future Part 3, which was released six months later in 1990. I think I talked about that when we talked about uh, the year 1990. But yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, there's a lot of gags and a lot of good fun in Back to the Future 2, even though I don't think it's the best of the trilogy. That's so funny. We've both got sequels. Yes. And they're not our favorite out of the franchises. Ah, that is interesting. Yeah. That's pretty there's funny. a lot of sequels in 1989, too. Yes. I'm sure we'll hear about more of them. Oh my gosh. Feels like we're doing that again these past three years, like all these freaking sequels. Yeah, especially this year. Yeah. My number eight is Heathers. It's available on Netflix. In order to get out of the snobby clique that is destroying her good girl reputation, an intelligent teen teams up with a dark sociopath in a plot to kill the cool kids. What could go wrong? <laughs> so- <laughs> it's a very dark comedy. This is a shocking comedy, but it's really fabulous, too. You know, sometimes if you're still healing from high school traumas, this could be a good one to just kind of relieve some of that stress and anxiety that you might still carry. Obviously, this is not the way to deal with your problems, but it's <laughs> it's fun to kind of re- have that release via film. Yeah, and that stars Winona Ryder and Christian yes. Slater. and I mm. love Winona Ryder. Yeah, this was when she was kind of really popular, uh, too. She had just done Beetlejuice the year before, and so, and Shannon Doherty, who would go on to be a bitch in Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> a few years later, stars too, as I recall. Typecast as the bitch. Yeah, very cool, awesome. I'm glad that you you, you recently also discovered that uh, past a few months too. Yeah, I think it was actually in the last year. Yeah, really. Year to two years. It might have been a year ago. Wow, wow. Time flies. Uh, My next movie is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is available on HBO now. I was curious about this one. I revisited this recently, and boy, this thing just zips along. It is so much fun. It is directed uh, by first-time director Joe Johnston, who went on to make The Rocketeer and the bad Jurassic Park sequel, Jurassic Park 3, but also the uh, Captain America movie, Captain America First Avenger, the first one. So he's kind of a hit and miss guy, but boy, like when he hits, he hits hard. And Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it's just so much fun, you know. Some of the visual effects, you know, at the time, it was all about the visual effects. Wow, how did they make these kids small and these animals big, and what did they do, and all that sort of stuff. 
It has a great blend of practical and visual effects. Some don't hold up great today, but it's still a lot of fun. This movie just does not slow down. I, I, I enjoy the characters. I always love the characters uh, in it, the kids and the adults. Matt Frewer is in this as the father of the neighbors. And, of course, Rick Moranis plays the father who's the inventor who creates a shrink ray that accidentally shrinks his kids. Uh, I don't recommend the sequels. Shannon, you were a fan of the, the first sequel. I need to re-watch them. I, I was a fan of the second one. Yeah. And I was a fan of the TV show they had for I was going to say, did you see that there was a TV show too? Oh, yeah. Ones? It was incredibly popular. Wow. Uh, in South Africa? In South Africa. It, it, it had primetime viewing. Wow. So it was, it was really popular. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I can definitely vouch for this film, which is available again on HBO now. My number seven is Do the Right Thing. Again, it's one that isn't like available anywhere online to our knowledge. We had to rent it as well. On the hottest day of the year on a street in Brooklyn, apparently I'm having a really hard time speaking today. <laughs> Everyone's hate and bigotry smolders and builds until it explodes into violence. I love this film so Spike Lee, this is one of Spike Lee's films. Mm -hmm. And he stars as one of the main characters. Yeah. And I love this film's structure. Mm -hmm. And I also love the theme of summer heat or heat of any kind really bringing the worst out of people. I, I find it very interesting. I mean, maybe that's why I have a hard time living in South Africa. <laughs> maybe it's just hot all the time. Maybe people are just nasty all the time because of the <laughs> heat. So it's like, uh, maybe that's why everyone's a little touchy. So uh, I really enjoyed this film. There's so many things that happen in it that are important, that can, that are relevant today, which is sad because yeah. it's like, oh my God, we've gone nowhere. Right. So it's... It's very, very interesting film, and one day we will own it. So Very cool. I'm yeah. glad that you love that film. That was also a recent uh, discovery for you, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we watched it when we did, because, you know, we, watched, uh, we were watching Masters of None, mm -hmm. and a key scene happens in, in Masters of None from that movie. That's right. They actually show on the TV characters watching Do the Right Thing in the third act of that film. Yeah. And we had just seen Do the Right Thing like two, three days before. Mm -hmm. It's very good timing. It was very good timing. All right, so my next film is Cameron Crowe's debut, Say Anything, starring John Cusack, John Mahoney, the late John Mahoney, and the wonderful Ioni Sky. I think we might have talked about this film in the past in a previous episode. I'm not sure. But John Cusack basically plays a, a guy who is He's such a sweet guy. He is. He's a very kind, very sweet guy. He gra is graduating high school with Ioni Sky's character. John Mahoney is Ioni Sky's father. He has high hopes for his daughter, who's just this high-achieving, like, great grades, you know, a lot of potential, very intelligent young woman. And John Cusack is not that. He's a guy who has a lot of things he doesn't want to do. He knows he doesn't want to do in life, but he doesn't necessarily know what he wants to do aside from kickboxing, which is not necessarily a sport that's taken seriously at that time. I don't know if it's still, I don't know if it's taken seriously today all that much, but as a career choice. But anyway, all he knows is he loves 
uh, Ioni Sky's character, and he wants to be with her. This film is set in Seattle, and so uh, it's kind of cool to see it on that level. Yeah, so young actors in it, which uh, is kind of fun to see, like Lily Taylor's in it, and there's a, there's another uh, guy or two. I think oh, Eric um, Stoltz makes an appearance too. This is a really endearing, sweet film. It has the iconic image of the guy holding up the boombox. If you've never seen that in context, you got to see this movie. Good soundtrack choices as well. It takes an interesting turn in the third act, which took me a couple of viewings to reconcile. Uh, it was not, you know, one of the, the, the things I loved about the movie, but I think it works. It, it's, it's an interesting turn, but it works. At any rate, say anything. I love it. This was when Cameron Crowe was, this is where he started off, and he was on fire for an, another decade. Um, so I, it's my seventh favorite film of 1989. Number six for me is Ghostbusters 2, available on Netflix. So I'm going to read the description. The discovery of a massive river of ectoplasm and a resurgence of spectral activity allows the staff of Ghostbusters to revive the business so their business had gone away for a while and there was nothing happening mm. um and then something starts happening and they didn't need heat in new york in order for everybody to get angry at each other no they didn't they just needed ectoplasm yeah. so heat ectoplasm whatever works <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's not the best sequel but it's fun and it's very sentimental to me with the best part being the feature uh, uh statue of liberty's feature in the film yes with my the, uh, jackie wilson's song love what lifting what is it love lifting me higher. higher higher and higher i think it's called yeah that is a fun song by the way yes. to rock out to when the sun is shining and you can drive safely on the freeway very cool and also a timely inclusion because they just announced ghostbusters 3 directed by ivan reitman's son jason reitman yeah. so fingers crossed for that we will see what happens yeah what is my next movie? My next movie, as we have approached the halfway mark, it is Field of Dreams, available on Hulu. Yes, this year was so good that Field of Dreams is only on my number six spot. Uh, we've talked a lot about this film, haven't we, Shanna? Oh, to death. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> it's it's and truly a favorite. How there are no rules here, <laughs> and how, you know, if you build it, they will, or sorry, he will come. The, the oft misquoted, which I almost did, oft misquoted line from the film. Of course, this stars Kevin Costner. It's a guy who has a voice on his farm telling him to build a baseball field. He has no idea why, but he does. And it's also telling him to do other things, which includes James Earl Jones at some point. And, and even in his final film role, the late, great Burt Lancaster as well. It's a beautiful film. Love it. Amy Madigan is feisty as Kevin Costner's wife in it. Love her in it. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear more about this movie soon. So, uh, But you can find it on Hulu. My number five is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, really? And you've pretty much already described it, but uh, this is one that I grew up with, and I mm -hmm. love it. It's yeah. total, total nostalgia for me. I mean... I would take Legos into the backyard, which were coveted, by the way. I don't know how I managed to get them out of the house, the actual house. And I would hope that, like, 
if there was anyone out there that got shrunk, <laughs> that they would have a home. So um, it was it was very silly. I like I was one of those kids that thought everything happened in the TV box, and then in real life too. Sure, in right. a very strange way. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I would I would take Lego pieces outside, and <laughs> let's just say people weren't pleased with that. You know, I will also say you know Disney has tried their tradition of making live action movies, and I really don't think. Most of their live-action movies are nearly as good as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the first Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie, you know? Yeah, that was that was a really great film. Yeah, yeah. And the music is so awesome, actually. It is. It's like... Yes, yes, yes. Who did that? I actually paid attention to who did that when I was watching it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and they have all this like sound mixing happening like with the toaster and then the dog barking and i i love the neighbors i think the neighbors are hilarious mm. so okay fun fact i as everyone might know by now is that you know growing up in south africa you didn't have like a little fence separating you you had walls so you never saw your neighbors uh you never got a peep of them oh uh, really a peek of them so this movie used to fascinate me because to me it was like a window into American culture in that way. It's like, oh, you can talk to your neighbors. Oh, you can see them. Oh, mm-hmm. they're like, you know what they're up to. You can hear them. That's interesting. James Horner. Oh, wow. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. My next movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This this movie is just one hilarious moment after another for like 90 minutes nonstop. I contend, and I know this is blasphemous, but I contend this is the best National Lampoon's film of the Griswold family ever. This movie does not get old. It does not age. It does not, like, its jokes don't, like, seem out of date or out of step with even today. Like, it's not, like, full of sexism or anything like that. There's maybe one scene where Shanna's mm. squinting her face. <laughs> like, no, my scene. life, it doesn't get away I, all, without a hitch. Almost 100%. But there's so much about families coming together during the holidays that you can relate to. There's always that, that uncle that drives you nuts, that one family member who's hard of hearing or who does nutty things you know for christmas gifts or for food we just want everyone to know that our parents are luckily not like these parents no very true (laughs) very true we are very lucky (laughs) yes absolutely very much so but uh but yeah just hilarious film probably chevy chase's best comedic performance in a, a career that's full of great comedic performances if you're a fan of big bang theory uh you will find actually the, the guy who plays Leonard, Leonard in, in it. Uh, look out for him. Uh, Juliette Lewis in one of her early film roles. We actually saw her in her first film role recently, My Stepmother is an Alien. Don't worry, guys. We only watched the first, like, 20 minutes. Oh, that is a terrible movie. Good God. Do not watch it. But Juliette Lewis is in that. And then, like, two years later, or a year later, or two years later, she was in uh, she was as one of the Griswold kids. And she's great in it. Her eyes freeze over. So funny. There's so many things. I could go on for about she's five minutes. She's such a great teenager, too. <laughs> she is. There's, there's so many things. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in it. We, we quote oh my gosh, a lot from this time. movie. I could carry on about this movie for about five minutes. All the hilarious things in it. Um, it is hilarious. 
Uh, again, I was surprised it ended up on my number five spot, but that's how good this year is, folks. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. My number four is incredibly sentimental to me mm. and is my Christmas movie. It is Uncle Buck. Oh, yes. It's my yes, Christmas yes, yes. movie because I didn't have a lot of traditional Christmas movies growing up, and this would be the one we would watch every year. Bachelor and all-round slob, Buck babysits his brother's rebellious teenage daughter and her cute two younger siblings, brothers and brother and sister. This is such a very near and dear to my heart film. Mm. And I pick up on things still that are different that I never noticed before as I get older. It, it's really like shows... <laughs> what a crappy shitty teenager can be like mm. and how it can make the parents or the adults feel mm. but it's okay because buck puts everyone in line yeah. <laughs> even the shitty teenager and macaulay culkin is in here can't forget that you know so it's 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 john candy as uncle buck and it's just i wish that man was still around i i i would have thrown all my money at him one of his best roles i think is as Uncle Buck, and I think there's a reason why all the TV shows based on the movie have failed. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't replace that, and I mean it's yeah. very particular. It's very like it's '80s family, you yeah, know. Yeah. You can relate to it now, but that's that's those golden eighty family movies. Yeah. And you know, like you were just saying, like we quote National Lampoon to each other. Mm -hmm. Well, my family and I we quote Buck. You know, so we're always saying when our mother figure is not home, <laughs> it's like really fun way to play with that. Very so. cool. And also, if I remember correctly, John Hughes maybe too? Yes. So that explains it, right? Yeah. Very cool. My fourth favorite film of 1989 is Batman. Oh, good. This was the Batman I grew up on. I love this movie. I have vague memories still of how much of a phenomenon that movie was to an extent that is rare that a movie is such a phenomenon today for a blockbuster the bat symbol was everywhere people were getting the bat symbol as their haircut it was on oh, what? hats it was on t-shirts the poster all you needed was the bat symbol that's and and you knew what what that movie was the i think the trailer even originally didn't even show much so there's just so many elements about this movie that even in a post-Dark Knight world, like, it's still so great. Even though it's a little more, like, pop cinema than, than what we've seen in recent years for a Batman movie. First of all, it's worth noting, Tim Burton did this film. He was chosen because it was basically adapting the darker version of Batman, which the 80s brought to uh, comic book readers. That was exciting. The first time you see Gotham City as, like, a gothic city basically you know think about it before this you just had the 1966 show? yeah before that you just ah. had the 1966 campy show you know so here you had this <laughs> where everything darker, was colorful right? and cute right exactly That's you have funny. jack nicholson delivering just an iconic performance as the joker with hilarious lines and you know he, he's just walking this line of like villainy and and hilarity and he was a villain you love to hate you love to watch it was just so much fun you know 
you have you have just a, a great cast overall. Michael Keaton was someone who nobody thought would be a good Batman. He ended up being the best Batman for years, and he was iconic as Batman. He had the best like outfit. He had the best car. Best voice. Yeah, he was great. Uh, this movie is so much fun. Prince did the soundtrack with a real uh, a few really fun cool songs in it. There's so much to love about this film. The score by Danny Elfman. Come on. That is the most iconic superhero score there is next to Superman by John Williams, you know? And I just love, I think, that opening credit, title credit sequence where it's just going through and close up the crest, the, the whole, like, bat symbol itself. Anyway, love this movie. And if you can find it and you've never seen it before or you want to show it to your kids, it's definitely worth revisiting still today. I think it's the best of the, the four Batman movie series that, 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 that it kicked off for a little while. So that's Batman by Tim Burton, 1989. Fourth favorite movie. And that's where Tim Burton should be. <laughs> My number three... <laughs> My number three is Parenthood, the movie. Oh, of course. The Buckmans are a Midwestern. Why is all the good stuff happening with Midwesterns? <laughs> I don't know. That's an interesting question. <laughs> That's a good question. They're a Midwestern family, all dealing with their lives, estranged relatives, raising children, pressures of the job, learning to be a good parent and spouse. It's, it's a freaking madhouse of what life actually is. This is the film that made me realize what it might be like to be parents, or rather, what my parents may feel like occasionally. Mm -hmm. I was exposed to this at, I think, 2024, just before I was uh, gonna start my career with childcare. Mm -hmm. So it, my, my, I think my mom was like, oh, we gotta watch this, we gotta watch this. And I'm like, okay, mom, okay. You know, so <laughs> it was really funny. I was like, I don't know if I wanna watch this. You know, Steve Martin is not my favorite person. I don't mind. Oh, I thought you loved Steve Martin. No, no, not as much as like I love John Candy. Like I can tell you sure. honestly, like, oh, I love that man. Oh, he's in a movie? Let's watch it. But if you tell me Steve Martin is in a movie, then I'm like, I'm not sure. Huh. And so how my mom convinced me to watch it was like, well, Rick Moranis is in it. So I was like, okay, cool. Oh, that's the same year as Honey, I Shrank the Kids. That's yeah, fun. Yeah. So it, it's like because it's showing parenthood from different generations uh -huh. and in different situations, yeah. everybody watching this film can get some sort of grasp of what parenthood might be like. Whether you're the kid watching it, whether you're the new parent watching it, uh, it doesn't matter. We showed Logan it uh, maybe a year or two ago, and even he gained some understanding of what parenting might be like. And he said, I'm not doing that, or I'm not doing this. And when I'm a parent, I'm not doing that. You know, so it was, right. it was, it's there for, for everyone. And you can pick up on different things at different times of your life. So I feel like, I feel that way about Uncle Buck. I feel that way about parenthood. Uh, they were just really golden movies from this year. I, I feel that, that have that, that superpower. Very cool. Very cool. That is a good movie. My third favorite film of 1989 is The Little Mermaid. Oh, which that's is, my number two. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, you go. allow me to, to share a few thoughts about it. It was the film that kicked off, uh, officially kicked off their new golden age era that, uh, that is so beloved that lasted through The Lion King in 1994. We've, in several episodes, referred to this as we 
talk about each of those movies. Um, I think even Rescuers Down, Down Under may, might have even run uh, ended up on your list for that year that it came out, 1990, if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah. as a favorite. Sentimental. Yeah. <clears throat> but Little Mermaid is just absolutely one of the most perfect of, of their films. There's not a single flaw I see in, in that particular film. The songs are extraordinary. Part of your world and the performance of Part of Your World is absolutely moving and stirring. I love that one. Everybody always talks about Under the Sea. That's the showstopper. Like, like, like Be Our Guest is the showstopper in yeah. Beauty and the Beast. You know, Under the Sea is fun and great. But boy, like Part of Your World is the heart and soul of this movie. You know, it is, it is the, is, what do they call it? The I Want song of yeah, this one. I know? feel like that's one of the best I Want songs. Yeah, that and Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Mm. I love absolutely, but in Little Mermaid, you know, it's just perfect. You have one of the best villain songs, Poor Unfortunate Souls, one of the best villains, Ursula. Mm. It's it's a just a great film with a great songbook. It is it is great with capital G and and flawless film. I love it. What sort of thoughts do you have on it? Well, you know, before Finding Nemo, before Ponyo, before before Finding Nemo, before Ponyo, before Mo- Moana, oh, yeah. this is what we had yeah. into the underworld fantasy. Underwater fantasy. Underwater yeah. fantasy. And the music, I totally agree, is just totally phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, that I Want song is what I would listen to over and over and over again when I was making my decision to uh, either stay in America another year or go back to South Africa. So it's it's really, really good song. I also, you know, you talk about Ursula being one of the best villains. I, I totally agree. I think she's like one of the top five Disney villains. But I also feel like it's a really good film about parents learning to let go. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. And you as the kid, you know, knowing what you want, listening to your own voice, and actually fighting for it. Yeah. It's really interesting. We just watched Moana and if you compare the two with how the the how the two leading uh, leading characters are, you know, Moana goes through this journey to be okay with what she wants. Ariel has no problem with what she wants. She's just fighting a bunch of the circumstances that mm. are stopping her. Yeah. Whereas like Moana, that's not her big deal. Her big deal is her inner fight yeah. and Ariel's fight is the outer. So it's very interesting to compare and, and see the two films together. And gosh, Alan Menken's score for this film, like if you go and download it, it's like... There's like a 45 second piece of music and it's the piece of music when she when Ariel gets to see the fireworks and she's holding on to the boat actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I just find that piece of music so fucking magical and it's only 45 seconds and mm. so that is the soundtrack where I am just loving everything that Alan Menken made but I'm starving for so much more. Yeah. So I I really like that film. That's awesome. Yeah, and it gets me, too. I, I tear up while watching that film. So my second favorite film of 1989 is When Harry Met Sally. Rob Reiner's film that he co-wrote with Nora Ephron, starring Billy Crystal and uh, Meg Ryan. It is, hands down, one of the five greatest romantic comedies ever made. 
it still holds up today and it asks that question of can men and women sustain a platonic friendship and it has its answer in the ultimately in the end but it's such a beautiful film and one of the things that they did was they interviewed people in the production offices uh their cut their these couples in the production offices and what I'm surprised by is what ends up on the film is actually actors portraying those stories. And I could swear those are real people. Those are the actual couples, you know, because they're so naturalistic and it doesn't feel like actors. It doesn't have that art, sense of artifice that you would expect. It's just absolutely beautiful little segments. But, of course, throughout it, you have Billy Crystal being hilarious in it and in some points you can tell like you there's a scene in particular where he's being playful with Meg Ryan doing like voices and stuff and you actually <laughs> see her looking off camera and then snapping back to him because she's not sure if we're sticking with this take you know oh, that's really funny you know, if, or if he's break, if we're going to break character or what but she sticks with it and rolls with him and it's great little, little moments like that Carrie Fisher is in it it's wonderful seeing her in a non-Star Wars role these days is she uh, the best friend yes okay Bruno Kirby is the is, is Billy Crystal's best friend <laughs> and I miss him he's great in it of course Bruno Kirby also is his best friend in City Slickers as well but yeah it's just a classic perfect film I love it so much and it, it just it, it holds up really well so it's my second favorite film of 1989, When Harry Met Sally. My favorite film of 1989 is Field of Dreams. Not a surprise to me at all. Not a surprise. Yeah, so I've spoken about this several times, and you've mentioned what it's about. This mm-hmm. is a wonderful story about forgiveness, letting go, fatherhood, and believing. And it's just, it's, it's so wonderful I, I always say there's no rule. There are rules. There are no rules here, and it it's it's very entertaining as a nanny to say that <laughs> to myself once I have walked away. <laughs> and it's just it's it's a really fun film. It's magical every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. It's just I want to go watch it now. Every time I want to watch something inspiring, my top three films are wild and practical magic and this one's at the top of the list field wow. of dreams so that is a favorite of mine i know nothing about i don't know much about baseball and here is where it truly doesn't matter but it is nice to get a kick out of the the white socks coming onto the field yeah absolutely very cool and that's available on hulu uh once again my favorite film of 1989 I can't even believe it wasn't on your list. Drumroll. It's available on Netflix. Did I forget about it? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is my favorite of the Indiana Jones trilogy, I'm going to say. I think that's just really rude. Like, money was spent on the fourth one. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And and, and, and too bad it never got made. So, this one is my favorite film. You're such a dick. It's the most fun... (laughs) I have expressed in these these pieces how like often I'll I will end up loving the the sequel the fun sequel the most you know that was the case with Lethal Weapon three and several other examples that's the case here in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade you have the prologue with uh, River Phoenix as a young Indiana Jones going on this little adventure from his Boy Scouts 
You have also, uh, you have this whole quest for the Holy Grail. You have, a lot of people love Karen Allen as Marion, but I actually love and have always been infatuated with Allison Duty as as the love interest in this film. Uh, the only icky, <laughs> it gets a little icky when the father, uh, played by Sean Connery, wonderfully gets involved. But Sean Connery, as Indiana Jones' father, is great in it and that whole like father-son dynamic is just so enjoyable in this film just i I could carry on there's so much to love it is it is a great film it's it was a nice relief and a follow-up to the temple of doom which was the prequel that people had mixed feelings about this was a much more livelier and and more fun experience and if i'm ever asked uh, if i want to see an indiana jones movie or whatever this is the one I'm going to gravitate to. It's my favorite film of 1989. It is available on Netflix. What are your favorite films of 1989? Let us know. Uh, Shannon, by the way, did, we never do this, but did you happen to have any movies that like almost made your list that you had to leave off? That was like really close? Because for me, it was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and The Killer uh, by John Woo. Uh, starring Chow Yun-Fats, and there was a couple others, but I was just kind of curious if there was anything like that for you, where it's like, oh, I had to trim it down, and uh, I have to leave that off. Oh, I'm sure there were some. I, I can't recall them right now, but Say Anything was going to be on the list, and yeah, something else you mentioned in your list. Yeah. Back to the Future was possibly going to be on the list, mm-hmm. and I wanted to watch The Killing because you had recommended it, but that just it just didn't get. Yeah, it's not point. it's not readily available either. So, anyway, that's our film phase, nineteen eighty nine. Shannon, before we talk about what's in the next episode, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me at shannapaxton.com, s h a n n a p a x t o n dot com, and you'll find all the social media channels of your liking over there. Very cool. So. As per usual, go to the Gibson Reviews or GibsonReview.com for all the past articles and past episodes. Of course, you can find us on iTunes. Please give us a rating on iTunes so people can find us. We really need some more listeners on iTunes there. You can also find these episodes on SoundCloud if you haven't already. Go to Facebook.com slash the Gibson Review to find third-party links as well as other links related to the Gibson Review and the Movie Lovers. And uh, we just added, actually, you could find me on Instagram, the Gibson 99 I do some posts about the blog and about the podcast on there. So you can follow me there, the Gibson 99 on Instagram and, of course, Flickchart, the Gibson 99 uh, where I have a list of most of the movies I've ever seen that are theatrically released. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we're going to try to do some catching up uh, because we were hit with a snowstorm. We were not able to get out and see Lego Movie Part 2, so we're going to try to catch up with that. We're going to try to catch up with Alita Battle Angel, but our main review is going to be How to Train Your Dragon 3, and Film Phase will be focusing on our favorite animation of the decade to correspond with an upcoming article about the best animated movies of the decade. If you haven't already, check out on the Gibson Review my first article in this whole series, Looking Back on the Decade, Love Stories of the Decade. You will find that published. Uh, that was, should be 
uh, published and by Valentine's Day. So definitely by the time you're listening to this. So check that out as well. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. What you got there? What you doing? It's just a notification. Yeah, what kind of notification? In the nanny group. Yeah, Do you, can you speak up a little? Oh, are we tasting right now? Yes. Oh, okay. See, I'm doing it kind of casually, <laughs> conversationally. <laughs> okay, very nice. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think we should do face masks tonight. It could be a fun bonding snowstorm tradition. What the hell are you talking about? We should treat our faces nicely because it's been cold out there. Oh. What do you okay. think I'm saying? Making face masks like some sort of a craft project? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not with you, my love. <laughs> I mean, if Logan was here, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounds like fun. And then you can join in if you want. But uh, no, I'm not doing that by myself. Yeah. No, that's a big right. project. No. Okay. All right. All right.